So, what is the fine-tuning of the universe for life? To understand the question of fine-tuning, we have to understand how a physicist sees the universe. And what I mean by physicist, I mean theoretical physicist. And to a theoretical physicist, we describe the universe through the language of mathematics. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to describe any process in the universe, you write down some equations and you solve those equations. And the ones we're interested in the fine-tuning question are the fundamental equations, mm -hmm. the, the, the things right at the very bottom, the things that control the, the interactions between particles like electrons and photons and those kind of things. So we have a set of equations to describe those, uh, those interactions, mm -hmm. but those re equations require some numbers. So if you want to ask how two particles interact via some force, you need to know some of the properties of, those, of that force force. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that normally involves some numbers that we typically have to look up in a book. They're called mm -hmm. the constants of nature. So like the mass of the electron or the Newton's gravitational constant, etc. And these numbers, while we look them up, they're actually numbers that we've had to measure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have nothing in our theories that tells us why Newton's gravitational constant is the value that it is, why the mass of the electron is the value that it is. It's just that what we measure from nature and this led a few people to ask the question, well, why these particular values? What if, what if the universe had a different mass for the electron or a different strength of gravity? What would that do to the fundamental interactions and how would those changes to the fundamental interactions propagate themselves up to the rest of the universe, to the stars and the planets and the people that are on those planets? Okay, so, so we can play that game. We can play theoretical what-if games. Right, and what happens when we play these games? Well, it depends what you do, what, which, which constants you mess around with. You, you might assume that, you know, if you mess around with some of these constants, you change the force of gravity or you change the mass of fundamental particles, you just end up with a universe which has a slightly different force or a slightly different mass of a particle. Mm. But remember, what's going on is things on the fundamental level get propagated up to things going on on the large scale. Mm -hmm. So let's take an example. Mm -hmm. Let's consider the masses of the fundamental particles. Now, the fundamental particles here that we care about, of course, are the electron, mm -hmm. which we're familiar with. It. That's that particle that goes around atoms on the outside. And the quarks. Now, these are these... Um, subatomic particles. They're the, the guys that make up the protons and the neutrons. The things that you find inside the nucleus of an atom, they themselves are made up of smaller objects which are known as the quarks. Mm -hmm. And in a proton, there are three quarks, two up quarks and the down quark. And there are, uh, in a neutron, two down quarks and an up quark. Right. We'll, so, we'll include the, uh, the recipe at the end of the episode. Absolutely. Sure. And they've got masses. Now, it, it, it turns out that one of the interesting things about um, the laws of particle physics, and we won't, I don't want to go into too many details here, but the, the proton is the lowest mass baryon. It's the lowest mass particle that has three quarks. Mm -hmm. and there's an entire family of, of different particles that have, uh, are made up of three quarks because there, there are uh, six different kinds of quarks but the proton is the lowest mass one. And it turns out there's a property of, of baryons is that if you have an interaction involving baryons, the number of baryons must stay the same. So if you start off with any of the heavier um, masses of the, uh, um, sorry, if you start off with any of the 
larger, heavier baryons, mm-hmm. they tend to decay into the lighter baryons because it's energetically possible to do so. And we know that um, even with uh, protons and neutrons, neutrons, if you leave them alone for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. will decay into protons plus electrons if you have things. Mm-hmm. So the buck stops with the proton. That's the lowest mass baryon. It turns out, though, if you mess around with the the masses of the fundamental particles, you could change it such that the neutron is the lowest mass baryon, Mm -hmm. okay? So you'd get all the particles decaying down into um, whatever's left, and it might just be neutrons. And you could have a process in the early universe where this occurred if you had a universe where the quark masses were different. Mm -hmm. Instead of producing just protons and neutrons, which then make up the nuclear of atoms, you just produce neutrons. Mm -hmm. So you make a universe that's full of neutrons, and then that's it, because neutrons don't do anything. Neutrons don't stick with other neutrons to make neutron-like atoms, and those atoms don't connect to form molecules, etc. So you could create a universe of neutrons, and that's it. It's a sea of boring neutrons. They never combine to form atoms, molecules, stars, planets, and people. So you have, you've created a universe, it's got a set of laws of physics, but the complexity that we need for life gets cut off. So roughly, and it's, 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 it's a bit hard to sort of explain in words, but if I just sort of picked a, a mass of the electron, mass of the up quark, mass of the down quark, you know, using my roulette wheel, what's the most likely thing that happens? The most likely thing that happens is you end up with a universe that you can ha- not have any complexity in. Right. So, you know, there, there are pl- lots of options, right? You could, you could have a different lower mass, um, la- lower mass baryon, which is, is something called the delta plus plus particle, mm-hmm. which is made of three up quarks, right? So you, you've messed around and three up quarks is a lower mass than the two ups and a down that were in a proton. You can fill the universe with that, um, with delta plus plus particles. It all sounds fine. They, they, they look like protons, but they've got a charge of two rather than the charge of one. Mm-hmm. So they capture two electrons, and uh, then maybe you can go from there. Maybe they can join together and create heavier elements, etc. But the big problem is, is that our delta plus plus particle, um, because it's got a charge of two, actually repels other delta plus plus particles very well. So it's very mm. difficult to get them to come together and stick. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, the delta plus plus particle has the same charge as helium, so which is the second most abundant element in the universe. And the thing about helium is that once it's got its two electrons, that's it. It doesn't care. It doesn't mm-hmm. want to interact. So you don't get molecules with helium in there because they just don't want to interact. Right. So if you made delta plus plus particles, again, you chop off the road to complexity. Mm-hmm. And as you said, if you look at the, the possible range of the mass of the up quark, the mass and the down quark, and the mass of the electron, and asked how much in this space is there a region where we could produce stable protons and neutrons and atoms and mm. molecules and eventually people and life, the answer is a tiny, tiny volume that if you played roulette and picked a point at random, the most likely universe that you're going to get is going to be dead and sterile. So this is essentially um, um, uh, reiterating what the fine-tuning means. It means there's only a small volume in possible range of parameters Mm. where you can get complexity in life. So one of my favorite examples has to do with the strengths of the forces. So, for example, 
you've just been talking about nuclei. So what holds a proton and a neutron together in a nuclei is called the strong force, the strong nuclear force. And it has a certain strength. There's a certain number that tells you how strong it is, but we don't know why that number is what it is. And so we can just ask the question, what if I messed around with it? And it turns, it turns out uh, you don't have to turn it down by too much before uh, nuclei that in our universe would be stable start to fall apart. And if you turn it down by a factor of two, which is a you know not a not a small amount, it's not like a tiny percentage or something, but um, it's a factor of two. Anything that's carbon-sized or bigger is not stable. And so you think of the whole periodic table. Uh, carbon comes in at number six. There are six protons. That's not stable. So all you've got are a couple of light elements, which don't make an awful lot of of of, part, of uh, molecules or any sort of complexity. You're missing carbon, so all those lovely long chain molecules, those are gone. Uh, nitrogen, oxygen, basically all of the elements except for hydrogen, which life actually uses. And so with this change, the universe becomes a whole lot simpler because suddenly you can throw your carbon chemistry textbook in the bin because none of that happens. Yeah. And there's some other interesting things as well. If you turn the strength of the strong force up, you might think, hey, that's a whole lot better. But you might end up making some uh, some nuclei stable and you think, well, that might be a good thing. But actually, the heat at the centre of the Earth re relies on some, some elements falling apart. So maybe that's not such a good idea, but those cases are a bit harder to examine. Yeah, this is, um, again, one of my favourite examples. A, um, as you said, nuclei are, are actually a a battle between three of the fundamental forces, right? Mm. Strong force holding them together, electromagnetism trying to push all of the mm. um, protons apart. Plus you have the weak force that allows protons to turn into neutrons, neutrons into protons, etc. So there's these the three competing forces. And when we talk about our periodic table of 92 natural elements, we know that um, the elements don't come along as single elements. You get mm. isotopes, which yeah. changes as the number of neutrons in the nucleus changes. So, you know, you get carbon-12 and carbon-14, etc., and what we have is if we draw a picture of um, our distribution of nuclei, right, with our isotopes, we see that there's a valley of stability that runs along the middle, right? So for most elements, they will have one or two isotopes that are relatively stable, mm -hmm. and then the rest all fall apart relatively quickly. So the universe is dominated by the stable isotopes. But if you, as you mentioned, if you mess around with the forces, you can wipe out the valley of stability. You can make all... Um, all of these isotopes unstable. So we don't have st any stable elements at all. Everything is at some level unstable. Mm -hmm. And how do you have a, um, a like a biological process that's propagated over billions of years if the elements that are involved are unstable on very short lifetimes? Mm -hmm. And then you've got the flip side. Again, as you said, if you mess with the forces, you can then start to make more and more of the isotopes stable. Now, um, what you have there is that instead of there being like one stable carbon isotope for life to work with, you might have 10 stable or 20 stable carbon isotopes. Mm. How does having all those different isotopes available affect the possibility of, again, molecular structures and interactions that you need for life? That, so that, again, as you said, that kind of calculation is more complicated, but it's very easy to see that we appear to be on this knife edge between having mm. lots of stability um, or no stability whatsoever. 
So we can think about not just the properties of the smallest things in the universe, but the large-scale properties of the universe, like how it expands and mm-hmm. these sorts of things. So a particularly famous case of fine-tuning is something called the cosmological constant. Uh, there is something in our universe which is causing its expansion to accelerate. So the universe is not only getting bigger, it's getting bigger faster and faster. We don't know what that thing is. But it might be something called vacuum energy. There are fields in the universe that basically... Uh, constitute what particles are so actually an electron is just a wave in electron field if you take all the particles away you've still got the field there it's called the vacuum state and if there's energy there it'll act like a cosmological constant it could make the expansion of the universe accelerate so that's a possibility but when we go and try to work out um, how big that number could be it's an enormous number 10 to the power of 120 times larger than the value in our universe and so we think all right there's a huge set of possibilities. What would happen if I increased the value of this particular number? And we find out by working with our equations that the formation of structure in the universe would be shut down because the acceleration is so fast. Basically, everything gets too far away from anything else for anything interesting to happen, right? So an awful lot of matter needed to be collected from a large bit of the universe into this room in order for this conversation to take place. If dark matter sort of makes dark energy sorry makes everything move away too quickly then this sort of thing never happens mm-hmm. every proton's just isolated it would love to do all sorts of wonderful things like uh, form into heavy elements and form molecules and form planets and people and stuff it never gets a chance because it's always on its own it's pretty sad really yeah it is yeah. the lonely proton yeah it sounds like a kid's book yeah yeah <laughs> well of course there, there's a whole host of examples uh, which we wrote about in in our, our book, A Fortunate Universe. One of my favorite ones, which we won't talk about now because it's a bit complicated. I think we might need an entire show, is the Hoyle Resonance, Indeed. which is one of the most spoken about, I think quite possibly misunderstood ones as well. But we, we'll talk about that in, mm. in a bit more detail. And there's a lot more to fine-tuning. There's, uh, firstly, because it's something that we've worked in for a while, we have discussed the common objections to mm-hmm. fine-tuning. And we definitely need to do a, a, a podcast on... Um, Puddle thinking. Yeah, and puddle thinking. Puddle thinking. We, I, I had to discuss puddle thinking yesterday. <laughs> uh, the objections to fine-tuning and then some of the possible solutions. But mm. I think I think we should probably wrap up there today because that's probably a good intro to the subject. Absolutely. So the short story is there's a lot of other ways that, so far as we know, the universe could have been. And when we explore those ways, the set that does anything interesting is remarkably small.